We believe. So what? What good is belief if it is not applicable to transforming life here and now? The truth is, our faith was never meant to be passive. We're called to have a faith that actually transforms us. So what does it look like to have a faith that builds strength through suffering? A faith that transforms us to be people who live with love in action. A faith that leads to reconciled relationships. A faith that speaks words that heal. A faith that invites us to be people who pray powerfully and experience what only God can do. We don't just want to believe. We want a faith that works. Hey, 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 my people, Willow. Where y'all at? Good to see y'all. Oh my goodness, I'm Peacock Proud and Hyena happy to be here with y'all today, I tell you. Well, if you don't know, my name is Megan Fate Marshman. Um, <laughs> you can tell by the tight jeans and the fluffy shirt, this is how I get down. No, I, am a, I love Megan and she and I, I tell you, it's such a joy to come out and be a part of the teaching team here at Willow. And I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be here today. I'm coming back in a couple of weeks for the Global Leadership Summit. Yo, I'm, the weather's nice. I'm trying to come to Chicago as much as I can this summer. It feels great out here. If you haven't been to the Global Leadership Summit, join us. Come. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal time. And I, I just want you to know, that's, that's how I met you. Um, I came pastoring a small church, and I needed to be inspired, I needed to be encouraged. And Willow, y'all opened up this place, and in a couple of weeks, there'll be thousands of people here coming from across the country and across the world. They're gonna be walking down the halls. I remember going to the care center and just looking, being in awe um, of, of this great church. And what makes a great church is great people. So, Willow, I just want you to know you have been leading the world um, in church uh, work through ups and downs, through good and bad. We still look to Willow as one of the leading churches in the country, and we get to host people from all across the world in a couple of weeks. So thank you, Le Willow, for your leadership and for always being such a giving, transparent congregation and inviting us to be a part and coming to learn from you. So come to the Global Leadership Summit where we're going to be learning from one another. And I just want to say, can I just thank Willow for being a leading church? Can I just thank y'all? I, I, and, I, and I can just hear some of the credit. I can just hear some of y'all. So I'm just going to say this. I didn't say this in the last one, but I'm just going to say it just in case. He's, how are he going to say that with all we've been through? Well, with all we've been through, look at you. You're still here. Oh, I wish I had a witness in here. Oh, come on. I'm telling you. You're still here. The devil tried to take you out. The devil tried to get rid of it, but you're still here. Some of your families, you've been through a lot, but you're still here. The church has been through a lot, but you're still here. That's what I call leading. Can I get a still here praise up in here? Anybody thankful that we still here? I may be bruised, but I'm here. I may be wounded, but I'm here. I may be tired, but I'm here. Somebody say, I'm still here. 
Come on now, that's what I'm talking about. So thank you, Willow, for leading, and thank you, Willow, for still being here. Amen? Amen. First Corinthians uh, 13 is where I got to go because if not, it'll be 3 p.m. and we'll still be here. <laughs> so let's get in this word. First Corinthians chapter 13, hear these words, hear these words. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body for hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind, uh, it, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. A few months ago, I had the privilege of releasing uh, my first book, and it's entitled How We Love Matters. Now, parenthetically, this is a personal big deal for me because I flunked out of high school with my GED. Now look at me. I haven't wrote a book. I'm thankful for God's grace on my life. I'm telling you. So if y'all pick up the book and you see a few misspelled words, be like, well, baby, he had a hard time in high school. Give him a break. This, we doing good just to have this here, baby. Don't don't be too critical, but, but the Lord put a burden on my heart for racial reconciliation, to see people come together who the world says they have no business coming together. Um, so I, I, it's about racial reconciliation, but it's really not about racial reconciliation. To be honest, racial reconciliation is the application, but love is the revelation. And if you try to get the application without first sitting in the revelation, you will experience frustration. Now, see, I did all them Asians. I was on the plane putting them down, child. I was like, come on. So what I want to talk about as we talk about a faith that works, a faith that's in action, a faith that's lived out, 
I feel like it's important for us to come together as a people and experience racial reconciliation. But in order for us to do that well, we've got to sit in the love revelation. We've got to sit and understand what does it mean to love well? Because if we put racial reconciliation as the application upon the revelation and the foundation of love, then I think we can change the world. God just doesn't call us to love. But what I want to try to go after our, in our time together is to capture the essence of this statement. It's not just that we love, but it's how we love. Because how we love one another, it matters to God. And therefore, it should matter to us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this burden. I pray that you would speak to us like only you can. Pray that in these next few moments you would tune our ears to your voice so that we might hear you ever so clearly. Uh, turn our heart toward you so that we might experience the fullness of all that you have for us. Um, God, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you would have us say, know, and do. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. Get glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I did something, told people about it, that I wanted to do it, and then immediately regretted it. No, I'm not talking about pastoring. Um, I, I said I want to do, a, uh, I decided to do a half marathon. And then I told my church about it. And then I regretted the whole thing. Um, because, you know, look at me, I'm not no runner. Like the first time I, I, I went running, I remember the first time I went on a run, it, it felt like, um, what's the right word? Oh yeah, that's it, death. It felt, <laughs> felt like death, death microwaved is what it felt like. It was like a microwave death. It was like a slow, progressive, I mean, it was terrible. The first time I went running, I remember I was sitting on my front steps as I got done. My kids just walked right past me, didn't even say anything to me. They went straight to their mom, said, Mom, something's wrong with Dad. <laughs> like they thought Dad wasn't going to make it. It was bad. I remember, and, and, and y'all know church people. It, it just, they were like, Pastor, we're praying for you in that marathon. Shut up. <laughs> Nobody asked you anything, but it turns out I did. Uh. Or, 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 or they would be like, Pastor, how's the marathon training going? How it look like it's going? Does it look like it's going anywhere? Oh, my goodness. So I had this guy in my church. His, he was a professional trainer. Uh, and he was watching me every week, and he was like, he ain't doing nothing. Um, so, so he literally sent me an email and said, Pastor, I want to come see you. So he came to my office. His name is Justice. I'm going to tell you something. What you don't want in your life is a personal trainer with the name Justice. 6 a.m. in the morning, you look at your phone, justice is calling. Oh, woo, woo, Mufasa, say it again. Woo, Mufasa. Like, so justice comes to my office. He, we, we agree I ain't doing nothing. So he's like, all right, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to personally train you. So he becomes my trainer. He brings these balls and these, these bands and whatnot. And y'all, we in there working it out. And I, whew, I'm about to pass out. I mean, I can't go another minute. And he says, all right, let's. And I was like, woo, yeah, let's wrap it up. He's like, let's get started. I said, what? 
I said, get started. What have we been doing this last 20, 30 minutes? He was like, oh, Albert, we was just stretching. I said, stretching ain't to work out. I think that's, I think that's all I can do today is just stretch. He's like, no, nah, before we can work out, you got to stretch. Because if you try to work out without first stretching, then you might hurt something. But before, you, before we can work it out, we got to get you stretched out so we can work it out. That's how I feel about racial reconciliation. That's how I feel about us just coming together, period. I, I, I think y'all, the church is more divided, feels like, than ever before. And I, and, I, and I feel like in order for us to begin to work out some of our issues, just to even have conversation, just, be, just to even get into the issues, we got we to gotta experience what I want to call spiritual stretching. We got, we got to experience stretching. You got, you got to stretch because if you don't stretch, you won't, you'll be very brittle in spirit. You, you'll be very, 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 you won't have the elasticity needed to have hard conversations and extend grace to one another. And what I've noticed is that the church, I think we got a hard time stretching because we really get comfortable in our ways and, and we can't deal with the with the discomfort that comes with being stretched beyond our own comfort zones, beyond what's familiar to us, beyond what's normal to us. Justice works me out, man, and he stretches me. I go to bed the next morning. Lord Jesus, I need thee. Like, what in the world happened? I, I just went to sleep. I just went to sleep, and I woke up, and I could not move. Y'all know what happened to me. I was sore. Like, I worked out, felt bad, went to sleep, and then got a whole nother dosage of feeling bad. I feel worse today than I did the day I worked out. Who does this? Like, who signs up for this? So, you know, I immediately quit. I was like, I am done. I called Justice, fired him. I said, I don't even want to see you at church no more. You got to find another church, Jack, because the last thing you want sitting on the third row is Justice sitting there looking at you. You know what I mean? So, I was like, I'm done. What is wrong with this? I was so sore, I almost prematurely gave up on my own development because I was too immature and ignorant of the process to understand that on the other side of soreness is strength. That soreness is a necessary process to muscle development. Your muscles get offended first and then they get stronger. They get stretched first then they get stronger. The sweet spot of working out is on the other side of soreness. As a matter of fact, if you ain't worked out in a while and you work out and you wake up the next day and you ain't sore, then child, you ain't worked out. <laughs> it's a necessary part. It's a signal and a sign that your muscles are experiencing the disruption that is needed for them to have strength and development. All oh, you waiting on the sermon to start, it started 10 minutes ago. I fear that the church, we don't know how to get sore. We don't know how to get uncomfortable and get over it. See, we have such an idolatry about our, op our opinions that, in, I, 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 and this is a really big deal, y'all. I think in the church, if we get offended now, there's this whole thing about being offended. We think being offended is the worst thing that can happen to us. 
Somebody say something you don't like, oh, I'm offended, I'm offended, I'm offended, I can't believe. They said, I'm so offended, I'm so offended. And everybody just getting offended and everybody just going to their corners and everything. And we don't know how to get sore to get offended and work through it. Child, you got offended. You didn't get stabbed. Sit down. You, you got offended. You didn't get killed. You didn't die. You know what I mean? Like, you got offended. That's all. But offended. Oh, I can't believe you said that. Offended. And I'm, so I'm done. So we, so we then begin to bring cancel culture. I, this one lady, she got offended. I, oh, pastor, I can't believe you said that. I, you've been a blessing to me for so many years, and all your sermons have been a blessing. But that one Sunday, you said that one thing that I don't disagree with, and I'm offended. Come here, Heidi and Chloe and Johnny and Bobby. We're leaving. We're going to another church and we're going to go somewhere else where we agree with everything. If you don't sit your behind down, you just got sore. That's all. On the other side of soreness is strength. Do you know the areas that get sore the most? The most underdeveloped? The, the least worked out areas? Could it be that you're so sensitive whenever we bring up that topic because you are spiritually underdeveloped in that area? And could it be that your offense is a signal to say, this is an opportunity for me to work harder to develop this area because I'm so sensitive because of how underdeveloped it is? Could it be that you're sitting and getting triggered? Ooh, they're talking about politics. Ooh, they're talking about race. Ooh, they're talking about sexuality. Ooh, I'm so offended. Maybe, maybe instead of getting mad and leaving, running up to the other church on the street, which set the clock, you're going to get offended there too. You sit and say, maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to help me develop an understanding in a perspective that's unfamiliar to me. But see, we messed around and see, we just want to cancel people. But you need to understand, cancel culture is not kingdom culture. Amen. Hello in here, somebody. See, see, we're so quick to get offended and then we want to cancel people. That ain't kingdom culture. You know Jesus' greatest prayer in the book of John? His greatest prayer for us, his burden, when he prayed for us, it's, it's, called, it's called Jesus' prayer. It's not, the disciples' prayer is more so the, uh, what we find in Matthew 6 and 9, what we call the Lord's Prayer. That's more the disciples' prayer. The, the, the Lord's Prayer is really more so of what Jesus prays himself when he's praying for his disciples. And do you know what he prays for us? He prays that we would be one. You know why he prays that? I don't know about you, but when I pray for my kids, I pray for them based off of the things that are most likely to harm or disrupt or to delay them. I, I pray for the things that's most likely to be a burden. I pray for the temptations that are most likely to tempt them. So my kids right now, they're with, the, they're with, they're with, with our friends, someone's watching our kids. And uh, what, what I'm praying for them, I'm praying for their attitude. Now they probably ain't never prayed for their attitude a day in their life. They never say, Lord, help my attitude. Said never, none of my children, right? But I pray that all the time. Why? Because I know that's going to be the biggest challenge that they're going to have in the next 48 hours is their attitude. So I pray according to what I know is most likely to cause them to get in trouble. Jesus prays for us with a burden for what's most likely to cause us harm. And Jesus says that's disunity. It's division. Based off of Jesus' prayer for us, he's saying one of the worst things that can happen to my kids is they mess around and get divided. So if our unity is Jesus' greatest prayer, then our disunity must be Satan's greatest ploy. Can I say that again? 
if, 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 Jesus, if, if our unity is Jesus' greatest prayer, then our division, our disunity must be Satan's greatest ploy. And if you step back and look at the culture, I think Satan has unleashed, unleashed a strategy for us just to be divided. Y'all, we so divided now. We divide over stuff that don't even make sense. That's, we, we divide over weird stuff. We fight over weird stuff. Like wear a mask or don't wear a mask. And we fight and make it an issue of faith. I had one lady, their family just ripped apart. They auntie called, hey, we doing a grandmama's uh, birthday party? Yeah, we really excited. Y'all not wearing masks, are you? Yeah, we got, everybody got to wear masks at the birthday party. I don't believe in masks. I believe in Jesus. Well, well, Aunt Mildred, I, I think you can believe in both. Um, no, I'm not wearing no mask, and I'm not going to have no be around people wearing no mask. No, I'm not. Re- well, well, grandmama got lupus. Are you trying to kill grandmama? Jesus can heal grandmama. Jesus can heal. It's like, what? So now they ain't having dinners together. They're not coming together. Vaccine, people fighting over getting the vaccine, getting the vaccine, not getting the vaccine, and fighting about it, making a big deal about it. Making, like going, hold, hand, just, hold, just arguing about it. People fighting, fighting you know. And, 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 and you can have both sides. You can, have, you can look at it multiple ways. Like, it's, it's not that serious. And then to some people, it's more than that serious. And then we act like it. And then we treat each other just terribly with one another. I just, I just have to be honest. You know, I'll admit it. I got the vaccine. I got it. I got it. I got the vaccine. I got the booster. And when I went to go get the shot, I took my friend. We went to go get the shot. And she brought a lime. I said, it's not that kind of shot. What are you doing? It's the last time I take Megan Marshall to CVS. I tell you that. It's just. But you know, people that wasn't getting the vaccine were saying, we don't know what's in it. So we can't take it because we don't know what's in it. And I respect that. And I was like, you know what? That's true. But I don't really live according to that ethic. And if I said that, I'd be hypocritical because I eat chicken McNuggets. <laughs> Come on, y'all know we don't know what's in them. And there I go, just be popping them. So they'll call me a hypocrite, you know? <laughs> My goal in this sermon is to offend as many people as possible. So I could tell by one little section, I'm, I'm about a third of the way. Um, I, I know people that have been devastated by the vaccine and had terrible reactions to it. I know people that were absolutely unfazed. But it, it, it's both and. It's, it does, it's, it, one is not going to put you in heaven or hell. Um, but we've made it such a thing and we just, you know, oh, I'm offended and I can't believe you said that. And, we said, and we've, we, we, we've, become, we've become these radicalized Christians to where, honestly, people know more about your vaccine status than your salvation status. <laughs> Hello, I'm here, somebody. You've been more critical of Fauci than you have Satan himself. They look at your social media, they wonder, are you an ambassador for Christ or an ambassador for Pfizer? I can't tell the difference. <laughs> Hello in here, somebody. And the enemy just uses these to just get us to, 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 so that we're not living in Jesus' answered prayer for our lives. Wants us to live just divided as possible. Politics, we become, we become elephant people, we become donkey people, when I thought we were supposed to be the lamb people. We're supposed to be the lamb people. 
But we're so, we're so radicalized. And let me tell you something. I'm a, I'm a registered independent. I think they're both ridiculous. I don't have no confidence in no donkey. I don't have no confidence in no elephant. Because last time I checked, an elephant didn't down across from me. A donkey didn't down across from me. But the Lamb of God died on the cross for me. So my allegiance goes to the Lamb. My identity goes to the Lamb. Neither, neither party, conservative or liberal, fully encapsulates the body of Christ. Fully, neither one of them are going to usher in the kingdom of God. Neither one of them. The left, they running from the throne of God. The left, the left is unapologetically, they run from God's throne. The right, they try to sit on God's throne. We all should be surrendered at God's throne. I wish I had a witness up in here. I think I just hit a new level of, of offendedness. I just lost another group. Come on, this is getting good. See, see we, we get these idolatries and these identities that aren't marked by the kingdom, and then we just start shooting at each other. We start, and then when somebody comes with a different perspective, we, we can't be stretched. We, we can't be stretched. Some of us, we're so offended that you can't even be stretched anymore. You're already offended because I, I, I'm a conservative and, I, da, 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 and it's going to be, it's going to be conservatives in hell. It's going to be liberals in hell. Question is, are y'all trying to go together? <laughs> See, you get so offended, you want to just cancel. Albert, I've loved your sermons until today. Good. That means you're just now starting to listen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and maybe you're so defensive because it's an opportunity for you to learn more. So instead of packing up and writing an email, which, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, and I feel, feel free to write the emails too, because I know sometimes you just want to express yourself, email me at davedummett at willowcreek.com, uh, and we'll get right on that. Can I just tell you one of the worst things that can happen to you is not to be offended. According to this Bible, one of the worst things that can happen to you is you not love well those who have offended you. Can I say that again? We think the worst thing that I'm offended, that's the worst thing. No, no, no. The worst thing that can happen to you is not that you be offended, is that you not love well those that have offended you. Friends, love is a big deal to God. Love is a big deal to God. Paul at the church of Corinth, that's what he's dealing with. He's dealing with a bunch of spiritual people that are religious. They got spiritual activities. They worship the Lord. They sing songs. They got great faith that can move mountains. They're willing to sacrifice and offer up themselves for the greater God, uh, for the greater glory of God so that they can brag. They got all of this spiritual fortitude, but he says, you got this great spiritual fortitude, but your love is anemic. You have deep biblical convictions but poor biblical compassion. And he says, if you boil down the idea of the gospel, if you had to boil down the whole law, as a matter of fact, they asked me, they said, Jesus, give it, give it to us straight. All these laws, all these things, boil it down. He says, all right, here's two things. Take notes. Here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, body, and soul. The second is likened to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you get those two right, you got me right. So if you got those two right, you got me right. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God, love the neighbor as yourself. If you get it early, I won't have to preach as long. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. It's a cross-shaped gospel. It's both, a ver it's both a vertical and a horizontal gospel. But we try to dismember the cross. 
We, 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 we get satisfied with a vertical cross, but a vertical cross is not a cross at all. It's just a one-way thing, and God didn't die on the cross for you to have this one-way relationship. He says, no, how you love one another is a really big deal to me. As a matter of fact, one of the first questions I'm going to ask you is you're going to stand before the pearly gates, and I'm going to ask you, what did you do with the least of these? Those who the culture said are the least. Those who the culture said are uh, uh, the, the, the poor, the prisoner, the naked. But don't think a list for me to check a box off. Think other. What did you do with people that were other than you? The others than you. And most others are people that are marginalized, are oppressed in culture. The, the ones that, that culture tends to leave out. The ones that, that nobody likes. The one that gets on your nerves. When he talks about love with the church at Corinth, he says, yeah, yeah, y'all worship good. You love God good, but you love each other poorly. And what you don't understand about God is you don't get extra credit for loving him and then not loving your neighbor. As a matter of fact, he says, your worship... I, I, you were worthy of it all. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. When you, you have tears coming down your eyes. Oh, there's Sheila crying yet another Sunday, a crying because of her love for me. And he says, if that tear rolls down your eyes and you get in the parking lot and roll your eyes at your neighbor, that worship is nothing. It's like a clanging cymbal. Your little worship and your little notes and stuff, and you got your devotional that you're working through every morning as you sit at your table with your tea, and you're going through your Bethmore study with your Bethmore blanket and your Bethmore bobblehead, and you just got it all just right there. Oh my God, just like sitting and starting my mornings with Jesus. Oh, let me post it on the Instagram, hashtag with Jesus. Paul says, if you do that every morning, but don't forgive, don't love people that don't look like you, don't live like you, don't vote like you, it's all nothing. It's nothing. The enemy wants us to have this great worship with God in this disdain for others. So Paul says, no, you got to love one another. It's a really big deal. And he didn't say, if you don't love one another, then you're spiritually going to be less than or you, sh you, you should work on it. No, he says, it's a, it's a wrap. It's zero. You get zero credit. You get zero credit with God. You will stand before God if you have loved him just faithfully and hated your neighbor consistently. You will stand before God and he will say, I have no idea who you are. Matthew 25, he says, I don't know you because there's no way you loved me well without loving your neighbor well. I fear, church, that we've created a culture that celebrates division and we're known for what we believe, what we don't believe, what our convictions are, and we're not supposed to be known by our conviction. Y'all, we're supposed to be known by our compassion. Can I say that again? Well, no, Albert, I don't know. I know that doesn't sound very biblical to me. I don't, I don't see that in the scripture. You ain't looking. They asked Jesus, how are we going to know which ones are yours? How are you going to know the disciples? He says, oh, I'll tell you, you'll know my disciples. You'll know that they are Christians by their doctrine. No? By their, by their position on Roe v. Wade. Oh, I think I'm over 50% on the, on the offended list. 
I think I just hit overboard. I hit a majority. By their, by their, you'll know their position on their sexuality, their views on sexuality. That's how you're going to know who the Christians are. The one, oh, you'll know the Christians that are, that are proud to be, a, the, my, the Christian, you'll know them by their pride for America. I think we hit 75%. We are almost there. Jesus says, you're going to know who my, my children are. You're going to know them by their love. Because everything else is going to be chaotic. Everybody else is going to be crazy. Everybody else is going to be hating one another. Everybody's going to be condemning one another. People are going to be self-righteous. People are going to be saying, you're wrong and you're right. He says, my ones, you're going to know mine. You're going to be looking at that crazy world and say, ah, they're my Christians. They're the ones loving everybody. They're loving folks that don't vote like them, don't look like them, don't believe like them, got different opinions in them. They're the ones out loving all the other people. That's who my Christians are. So when we talk about love, you need to understand Paul ain't talking about folks that you agree with. He's specifically talking about the people that you don't like, that you don't agree with. You don't have the same philosophy. You don't have the same theology. You don't even have the same convictions. He's talking about people that are, that are trifling, that are, that are not like, ooh, I've got a bad reputation. No, they ain't got a bad reputation. They got a bad, bad. They're just bad. But God says, I want you to love them too. As a matter of fact, I want you to love them more. I want you to love them first. I want that love to be evident. I want the world to look at you and look at who you love, and I want them to be confused. I want them to think, what's wrong with them? How are they loving those kind of people? He said, that's who he's called us to be. So Paul's telling them, Love is a big deal. You got all these spiritual practices, all these spiritual rituals, but you do not love well. You're not loving one another well. So I need you to love. And I love it. Paul doesn't keep love ambiguous. It's not ambiguous. It's not this kind of love is love and whatever you think love is and I think love is. And we can make, up, make it up as we go along in your version of love and your version of love and my version of love. It comes together and it just makes love. No, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Love is not love. God is love. God is the source of our love. God is the source of our love. If our love comes from him, he gets to tell us what it is. We don't get to make up what love is as we figure it out. No. He says, love is not ambiguous. It's kind of like, y'all know Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Y'all know that actor? Y'all notice how he's culturally ambiguous? Like you don't know really what he is. You're like, huh, he, he could, is Samoan? Yeah, he could be Asian though. Yeah, he could be Asian. He, he might be black. Is he black? He could be black. Oh, no, he, no, no, I see a little Latino. He got a little Latino. I don't know what he is. I can't tell what he is. What is the rock? Yeah, see, love is not like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You don't know what it is. Love is more so like Chris Rock. Uh, <laughs> ain't nobody ever looked at Chris Rock and was like, I wonder what he is. Is he white? Is he Latino? No, Chris Rock is black. Blackity black, black. African, American, month of February, black history, black. He is black. Love is like Chris Rock. It ain't ambiguous. He says, I know, I think I'm at 92% offended now. I think I can feel it. Um, he says, love is not ambiguous. Let me show you what love is. And it brings us to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, the love chapter, most often heard at weddings, most seldom seen in marriages. 
1 Corinthians, the love chapter, most often preached in churches, most seldom lived out in Christians. The love chapter. So, so it'll do us well in my last few moments here to, to, to re-look at it so that we, we can remember what love is. As we seek to love one another, as we seek to love people that are hard to love, we need to remember what love is. Number one, love is patient. Love is patient. Some of you, you got people writing and just thinking about them, you lose patience. I was just kidding about closing. I just said that to make them feel better. We still got another 15 minutes. That was, a, that was just a joke. He's new. He doesn't know me yet. You'll get to know me, buddy. However long Megan preach, add 15, 20 minutes, and that's Albert. Um, seriously, you can go. I'll, yeah, I'll call you back. <laughs> I just said that you say I'm about to close to make y'all feel better. So you're like, okay, he's getting kind of close to the end. I'm nowhere near the end. Um, love, love, is, love is patient. It's not patient in time, it's patient in people. And so, so, so don't think about your mama. When I talk about your mama, most of us, we love our mama naturally. Uh, Paul isn't writing a whole chapter for people that are easy to love. He's taking time to write a whole chapter because these are people that are hard to love. Think about people that fundamentally disagree with you, that you would spend your whole life working against what they would spend their whole life working for. God says, now take them and apply this kind of love. It needs to be patient. Some of you just thinking about certain people, you already out of time and out of patience, just to think of them. What does it mean to take that person that requires more patience? And for you to show up and love them that way. Love is patient, love is kind. Y'all know Christians can be some of the meanest people in society. Just mean. You know how every job got a mean lady? When new people come, they be like, hey, that's Miss Harriet. She the mean lady. Don't go, don't go to Miss Harriet unless you got your stuff together. Miss Harriet is mean. And then they come to Willow Creek and they go, Miss Harriet. Miss Harriet is on the prayer team. Do y'all see this? Y'all, that's Miss Harriet, the mean lady from work. It's here on the prayer. They texting their coworkers, y'all, look, the mean lady up there laying hands on people. I'm praying she don't choke nobody. Lord, have mercy. Here, I'm going I'm to I'm go live. Watch this. I'm going to get a video of the mean lady here at the church. Love isn't mean. Love is kind. Love is kind. Uh, it does not envy. Envy here is not the idea of I want what you have. Envy here is the idea is that I'm mad that you even have it to begin with. I'm, I'm mad that you even have it. Love is not envy. It does not boast. It, 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 does not, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not, watch this one, easily angered. How easily are you angered with certain people? Some people, if I even just say their name, you get mad already. Knowing you're going to see them next week, you start getting mad a week early, already irritated that you're going to see them. Your kids be like, Daddy, what's wrong with you? Stop asking me what's wrong with me. There ain't nothing wrong with me. Just leave me alone. Stop trying. Like, oh, we must be going to see Aunt Mildred next week. Because they see, they know that you get easily angered. Watch this. It keeps no record of wrongs. It's, an, it's, a, it's the idea of an accounting document where you just keep an account on people who do you wrong. And it's like you, you, you keep a score and you get to the point eventually where you like, you got one more time. Anybody ever got that with somebody? One more time? You got one more time to do something. You got, she got one more time to say something to me. She got one more time. You know, Peter got like that. Y'all remember that time Peter was asking Jesus, how, how many times do we have to forgive? 
And remember, the funniest part is he had a number in mind. He was like, seven? I'm thinking seven. Why did he think seven? Because somebody had got on his nerves six times and he told them, you got one more. He said, you got one more. I'm going to go check with Jesus to make sure. Jesus, can we do seven? Because he got one more time to say something crazy to me. And I'm going to say something crazy to him. Come, come on, Jesus. It does not keep record of wrongs, friends. Love does not delight in evil. Watch this. It does not delight in evil. It's not the idea of I don't, love doesn't enjoy evil. No, no, no. Love doesn't enjoy evil when it shows up in people's lives that we think deserve it. Did you get that? When it talks about delighting in evil, it's like I don't delight in the evil that shows up in people's lives that I think deserve it. Like when something bad happened to somebody and that little exhale that you feel inside, that little, hmm, see, I told them. See, I knew they wouldn't write that little exhale. Oh, am I the only petty person in here? I, I guess I just brought petty on the plane from California. I'm the only one that's petty. Ain't nobody else petty in South Barrington. Oh, come on, petty people. That's not golly. It's, it's, it's like when, y'all remember, remember when Trump got COVID? Some of y'all was like, yes. Yes, now see if he go take some Clorox now. Yes, all right. Let's see how you go treat that. And you felt so good, you just felt like a little, uh, see? And then when he came back, he was like, dang it, shenanigans got away from us again. Or what about Biden? Oh, you thought I was just going to talk about Trump? Oh, you thought, you, oh, you thought I was, I told you. What about Biden? When, when he pulled out of Afghanistan and those people hanging off those planes, it was a public disaster. Embarrassing. Painful. And some of you was like, yes. God said, that's not love. That's not my spirit. We don't rejoice in evil wherever it rears its ugly head. And whosoever family it hurts, we don't ever rejoice in evil. <laughs> wherever it shows up. <sighs> Keeps no record of wrongs. I, I, I got to move on. Um, that, that's not your cue yet either. But <laughs> I, I, I guess... What, what he wants us to see and what I want you to see is that love is not ambiguous. We should begin to practice those loves, practice specifically what it looks like, and begin to apply it specifically in areas that are hard, specifically with people that are hard, specifically with people that believe things that we, oh, we couldn't disagree more, but where we don't share conviction Friends, we still have to share compassion. So he says we got to love better. He leaves that and then Paul shifts gears and he talks about when I was a child, I, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, but when I became a man, I, became, I put away childish things. It's almost like he changes subjects. It's almost like where did that come from? Because we're so used to hearing that passage out of context with the love description. But what he's saying was, yeah, when I was a child, my love looked like a child's love. But when I became a man, I had to put away childish love. In other words, Paul is saying, love grows up. And when love grows up, it ought to change how we love. I don't have a, I don't have a childish kindness now. I've got a mature kindness. I don't have a childish patience. I've got a mature patience. I don't have a childish ego. I've, 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 I've done away with my ego with maturity. Here's a, here's a line. When love grows up, it looks like Jesus. When love grows up, it looks like Jesus. 
So as I've been growing up, I'm looking more like Jesus in my love. I'm looking more like Jesus. So watch this. When it comes to politics, I'm looking more like Jesus in my love. I'm looking less like an elephant, less like a donkey, and I'm looking more like the Lamb of God. When it comes to racial divide, I'm looking less like a, like, like a white person being defensive. I'm looking less like a Latino person trying to make my point. I'm, being less like a, I'm looking less like a, a black person that's trying to scream my, my worth, and I'm looking more like a Jesus lover follower that's passionately pursuing equity for all God's children. Hello in here, somebody. So when love grows up, it changes how I look. And I'm looking more like Jesus. I'm sounding more like Jesus. I'm sounding less like Fox News. I'm out of time, so I just figured I'd just get as many people with one swat as I could. I'm sounding less like CNN. I'm sounding less like the MSNBC and I'm sounding more like the B-I-B-L-E. Amen. Amen? Come on, keyboard player, I'm ready to close for real this time. Play some nice and loving music. There you go, you was ready too. He's, he had to put out his cigarette and come on out real quick. He was, he was like, oh. <laughs> Zoe, my little girl, when she was first born, the worst thing, when she was a toddler, the worst thing you could say to her was, people used to go to her all the time, and she, they say, you look just like your daddy. <laughs> She'd be so irritated. But from the time she was first born, she couldn't help it. She looked just like me. Turned two years old, looked even more like me. Girl turned four, got glasses, OMG, SMH. She looked even more like me. Now that she's 16, y'all, I didn't know I could look that fine as a 16-year-old girl. I look fabulous. Because she looks even more like me. Every year, she looks more like her father. That's love. That's what God wants to do in us. Every year, we look more like our father. Every year, we look more and more like Jesus. Just in one chapter over, the church were having a hard time with the communion table because they would come to the table and they weren't being kind. They weren't being patient. As a matter of fact, they'd come eat all the food, drink all the wine, and those that were, had to work all day would come and there would be nothing on the table. Paul says, y'all have made the table about your own opinions, your own perspective, and your own agendas. And let me remind you what this table is about. This is a blood-stained table. This table is about the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we come to the table today, Willow, I want to remind you what this table is about. It is not our beliefs. It is not about our convictions. It is not about our opinions. It is about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his broken body, his shed blood for our sins. And as we remember that, we seek to live broken and poured out like Jesus was broken and poured out. Our lives should be marked by love. When you came in, there was a communion packet available to you. If you didn't grab that, if you would just raise your hand real high, um, our team would gladly serve you. Paul had to remind them, just raise your hand and they'll come to you and bring it to you. 
and go on and start opening it because for some of us, it'll take about seven days to get that packet open. <laughs> Jesus calls us to the table and he says, come to the table and remember that it's about what I did for you. So surrender your offense. Surrender your agenda. Surrender every allegiance that falls outside of God's plan and God's purpose. And he says, as you come to the table, remember my broken body that was broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. When you come to the table, take the juice and the wine and know that that's a symbol of my blood. That was was passionately poured out for your sins. And as often as you come together, not fighting, not not with elephants, not with donkeys, not with vaccines. As often as you come together, you allow this to be your label. You allow this to be your marker, and you allow this to be the source of your love, and you take drink in the new covenant, my shed blood. As you eat, as you drink, may you remember why we have access to this table and know that if I loved you, then you can love one another. Continue in my love. Father, thank you so much for your broken body, for your blood that was poured out. Father, may we live broken for you. May we live poured out for you. Loving you, loving one another. Because, Father, this table reminds us that how we love one another really matters. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Willow.